0: Where were you when the world stopped turning on that September day? Were you in the yard with your wife and children working on some stage in LA?
1: Did you know that jet fuel can't melt steel beams? Did you know that the lawn in front of the Pentagon wasn't messed up at all? Did you know that the hole in the Pentagon wasn't the wingspan of the plane? All these and more will be addressed in this week's episode of Michael and Us.
2: Folks, welcome back. Uh, we're here to address, you know, I think one of the great kind of continuing mysteries in our society, but really also to uncover it and to reveal
1: the truth of what really happened on that fateful day. And we've come with the only man who can answer these questions, uh, Mr. Alex Ross. Alex. Alex.
3: Hi, everyone. Happy to be here again to talk about uh, conspiracy theories and really get down to the bottom, you know, of, of what really happened on that day. Uh, it's very confusing. Alex,
2: I think, now taking the crown for, you know, most frequent Michael and Us guest. And we've really got him because, I mean, you know, Alex is a mutual friend of Will's and mine. We've, we worked together, all of us at the varsity, and Alex was, you know, the guy that would always get... At the truth of things, you know, he's he's kind of the truther. He's the one that digs. And he would finds... call us
1: in the middle of the night, and he would say, "If you if you play the video back, you can see the actual controlled demolitions lower in the tower. You can see the air coming out of the windows. Is that air pressure? Is it a bomb going off? Who's to say?" Yeah, I mean, what what we're saying, folks, is there's no one more qualified for this than Alex.
2: And uh, that's why we're going to get to the bottom of nine eleven.
1: This episode, we watched a movie that I think has really been a long time coming, uh, the chef d'oeuvre of Mr. Dylan Avery, a film called Loose Change. And I believe we watched the second edition it's of loose of an change an HD re-release yeah, it's like model. the it's like the enigma
2: variations there's just a you
1: know there, there have been something like five or six different versions of loose change i think they're all basically the same some of them have some fancier computer graphics in them but we just don't have time to watch them all
4: 8 46
1: a.m new york city new york american airlines flight 11 is allegedly flown into the north tower by mohammed Atta. This is the widely known video of the attack, shot by Jules Nadei. At face value, it may not look like much. However, upon closer inspection, in case you missed it, one more time. If you look closely, you'll notice that the shadow of the plane meets the building after the flash occurs. This means that the flash is not the fuselage colliding with the building, but rather, a separate event. Not to mention that the Flash is twice as wide as the fuselage itself.
3: He basically
1: will just list
3: off an excess of facts, uh, sort of overwhelming you with this sort of data, uh, to the point where, you know, actually, I mean, the film itself is actually, like, you know, it's amazing that it became such a viral hit. Because in many ways, I mean, the film is actually quite boring. Uh, yeah i
2: mean it it nearly killed us watching this thing it really is just and i mean we've watched some real i know every time we do this we pretty much every episode we're like we've watched some real stinkers folks but this one (laughs) takes the cake but i mean really this one if you ever had that thing where you just watch cnn for like just forever that's kind of like watching this movie like it's 70 minutes or 80 minutes but it feels like years
1: <laughs> so the premise of loose change we all remember where we were on uh that september day when i first watched loose
2: change maybe maybe you were <laughs> uh with
1: your wife and kids or working on s- in some stage in la um <laughs> but you probably thought that osama bin laden masterminded the 9-11 attacks well what if i told you The project for the new American century, a think tank uh, featuring such luminaries as Jeb Bush, Dick Cheney, Donald Rumsfeld, released a report saying that in order for their neoconservative ambitions to really reach fruition, there would need to be another Pearl Harbor, another inciting incident. Flash forward a few months later, there's a drill at the Pentagon. Coincidence? (laughs) Flash forward a few months after that, there's a drill at the World Trade Center. Was this an opportunity to plant bombs in the World Trade Center? Who's to say?
3: Uh, insurance was taken out uh, months before the attacks, actually insuring it against terrorism.
2: Can, can you believe, guys, that somebody who who bought like a multi-billion dollar property would take out an insurance policy on that property? I've never heard of anything so irregular and I think it raises some very serious questions so this amusing satirical bit you've just heard (laughs) kind of gets to the point of what this movie is because it's very just asking questions and you know watching it this time I was struck by how unpersuasive it was I mean granted the last time I saw it was probably circa 2006 and believe it or not I don't think I mentioned this to you guys but I actually saw it in my high school you know history class or something those were the days so did somebody like
3: literally wheel in the tv and put this it's,
2: on? it's worse than you think because the thing is i had a, a teacher who he was one of the laziest teachers in the school and he used to kind of disappear with this other teacher who was actually even lazier And I guess they were both that kind of demographic of, like, early 30s teachers still living with their parents, and they just (laughs) didn't give a fuck. And they would—this guy would just leave. He'd be late, or he'd leave, and he just wouldn't come back. The other guy—I'm not going to name either of them, but, you know, the other guy— Later, when I worked in a restaurant in Hamilton, he used to come in and bring his kind of 19-year-old dates or whatever <laughs> into the restaurant. Oh um, and so, you know, the level of laziness was such that they would just, you know, um, I was never in the other guy's class, but, you know, people would report that, you know, he would just like put on a movie, he would just put on like Fight Club or whatever and just leave. And so my guy put on loose Change, just kind of left the class. Thing. Did he
1: know what it was?
2: I have no memory of how he justified
1: that this was the thing we were watching, because I saw Bowling for Columbine in a ton of classes, oh yeah, and it was always always like a social studies class or a history class or something. And it'd be like, well, this is a movie about the issues, and it's good to get kids thinking about the issues. Well, I just put
2: it—I put a lot of the stuff down to laziness. I mean, mm-hmm. in my grade ten history class, my teacher she screened what was that Brad Pitt the the Troy movie? Troy, like, that yeah. Troy. I yeah, mean, yeah, we yeah. watch—we actually watched that in in history class. So, a Hollywood film about the Trojan War, which is not mm. a historical event. And, you know, I just put it down to Lazen. I have no idea. Maybe someone brought it and he, and he was just bringing the TV in anyway and they put that on. I have no idea.
1: I've also had teachers that have had, like, kind of an agenda. Mm-hmm. Like, I I had a conspiracy theorist um, shop teacher in right. grade 8 who was always telling us about, you know, the moon landing. Or he was always telling us about these strange news stories that he was reading. Like, ah. Oh. The the CIA has has completed work on DNA bullets, mm-hmm. which when you fire them, they'll be able to track somebody by their DNA. You know, <laughs> so you know, bullshit like that. Well,
3: it's <laughs> weird because you know my high school, I, I didn't really have uh, anything like that because I feel like my teachers were invested in the only conspiracy theory that matters, and uh, that's Roman Catholicism. <laughs> well, uh,
2: well, interestingly, the teacher that I'm talking about was actually you know the one teacher in my high school who kind of was like soft pro Bush so i really don't know what he thought he was doing but a lot of the kids in the class found it very persuasive and i even remember before this kind of in the you know rural part of ontario i grew up with it actually just was kind of common sense among a certain kind
1: of mm-hmm.
2: person that oh yeah 9-11 the official story is kind of wrong and that you know, it was probably like planned to scare people and things like that well remember
1: that this theory kind of had a lot of currency right after the Iraq war when it was becoming clear that some of the evidence for the Iraq war was fraudulent and that the reasons for going in weren't what they said they were. There was just a lot of general distrust in the Bush administration around this time that would, you know, make people maybe leap to the conclusion that they would be behind 9 11.
2: Yeah. And I mean, I think that. Uh, I mean, let's before we before we get into before we get into any of that Let's maybe just go over the film with a little more in a little more detail because I mean this film itself is very boring But I do think there's a rich vein of material to be mined here um, And I'm hoping our resident truther Alex Ross can help us get to the bottom of some of this stuff You know, so the film basically walks through kind of the official story of 9-11 uh, with United 93 With the Pentagon and with the attacks on the World Trade Center Obviously and it kind of calls into question the official story in various ways and Alex I think as you put it while we were watching it sort of bombards you with information that kind of seems empirical
3: yeah because I think
2: what's interesting about the
3: 9-11 truth conspiracy is that uh, it, it's brought in people like a lot of these conspiracies I think when I was talking on your Alex Jones show a lot of them are really um, with the reactionary right and of course the, there's a huge contingent of the reactionary right that follows this, but it also brought in, I think, some people who are ostensibly from the left as well. Yeah, and, absolutely. And it sort of presents itself as commonsensical. And I think it's because a conspiracy theory like this like, claims to make empirical claims about the world, right? So it's saying that, you know, this isn't just, you know, some, some theory, something that's out there that we sort of made up. No, no, if you look at, you know, follow the evidence. And what I found often was that the narrator of the film, who's the director, Dylan Avery, he would just constantly bombard you with little snippets of facts, right? So, you know, you know, he actually goes into detail about, you know, how many windows there are on the World Trade Center and, you know, what the materials it was made out of and things like that. So I think if you're not watching it critically enough... Um,
2: well, it what, gives the impression of rigor that yeah, perhaps yeah, it gives isn't, the isn't really there. scholarship,
3: right? And, I mean, the thing is that, I mean, quite a few of the claims that he cites, I mean, were very popular... In these sort of conspiracy circles and what often happens is that these all become mutually reinforcing right so you know often with these conspiracy theory books you'll have somebody who cites another conspiracy theory book and then that'll be cited again and then you find it that they all cite the same source so it sort of becomes this thing where it has all the appearance of like a scho- of scholarship uh, that's actually being rigorous and it's really just a bunch of people really kind of quoting each other and sort of trading in the same material
1: and is this the same with for example Holocaust denial
3: yeah yeah definitely with Holocaust denial or alternative archaeology you know people saying that oh well you know the pyramids of giza were built to uh, match, you know, the stars in the belt of run. probably
2: creationism to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So
3: that's the thing is that when you actually really investigate the sources for these books, you really find that oh, okay, they're citing this other book that cites this book, and they're all kind of citing each other. They all kind of know each other. So I think with this film, and it's kind of funny because um, one of the researchers from Loose Change, he's on Democracy Now debating with popular mechanics. We'll talk a bit about that later. But he sort of, once again, he cites all these sorts of claims and he seems really invested in this kind of material right like if he's the researcher um you know and Dylan Avery the director was obviously invested in as well I mean they're sort of pulling from a lot of I think the same sources and a lot of these 9-11 truth circles even ones that are critical of um loose change would often make very similar claims or would sort of use the exact same evidence even if they might dismiss uh, a film like loose change
2: And the film one of the obvious problems that we kind of witnessed while we were watching it and which was kind of which was picked up by these fellows from Popular Mechanics in this Democracy Now debate that you referred to. One of the problems is that a lot of the evidence they use is kind of circumstantial. It involves people in just the horrible confusion and chaos after these horrific attacks. You know, kind of really low level civic officials like police and firefighters being interviewed by equally psychologically shattered traumatized local media you know as in some cases the buildings are falling down behind them being like what did you see what did you hear
1: yeah when Um, the, when the film is trying to prove that it was a demolition and not a plane crash we see a clip of an nypd officer saying oh man i i heard this big explosion and this is supposed to be proof that it was an explosion. But, I mean, he but,
3: looks so devastated. I mean, he's
2: obviously not. But know,
1: I mean, putting that aside, it's yeah. like none of these people have heard what the sound of yeah, a plane you guys, do, hitting a building is. Do you a guys building.
2: know what, a, what, a, what it sounds like when a 110-story building collapses exactly? Because no. I certainly don't.
1: But you know it's loud. So yeah, that's mean, like an explosion. Yeah, you know, so there's a there's a lot of stuff like that. There's um, another bit when during the Pentagon section of the movie where we see a couple of clips of eyewitnesses talking. The first one, who's a reporter for USA Today, I believe, says, "Yeah, I saw a uh, looked like a Boeing seven forty seven, American Airlines logo on it. it. looked like it hit." Then it cuts to somebody else saying. Oh man, it looked like kind of a smallish plane, you know. And, mm-hmm. then, and then someone else saw a helicopter. But it's not like they were, you know, studying carefully this plane traveling at 150 miles an hour. Well, that only became significant when it hit the building. Think
2: about how much information your brain kind of takes in if you're walking down the street. I mean, there's all kinds of things, and your like levels of awareness of them are very different. And of course, the priority in terms of focus that your brain kind of ascribes to each thing is going to be very different, you know, depending on like what you think is important. So I assume probably several times a day when I'm walking in the street, some part of my brain will register, oh, yes, there's a plane overhead or there's, Mm -hmm. you know, but it's not like I'm focusing on it or trying to identify the markings on it or something like that. Whereas, you know, of course, if the plane then was to hit... The CN Tower or something a few minutes later, I might try to recall the memory. But of course, even the act of trying to recall the memory would probably modify it. It would probably be compromised in some way. So just all these things. I mean, I think everybody gets this now, or a lot of people get this when we're talking about a mass shooting, for example, and how You know, defective. The reporting is in kind of the immediate aftermath. I mean, with you know, Anders Breivik's horrific massacre, for example, there were 24 hours of absolutely horrendous reporting about. You know, is this Al Qaeda? Is this no? And it's like no, it's like the most Aryan-looking person you could imagine. This was domestic terrorism against basically young socialists by you know a white supremacist. People get it now. We've seen enough of these kind of things over and over again to not trust that kind of sourcing and yet that is almost entirely what this movie draws upon to yeah make it, its points. and
1: in fact we see several montages of footage from like cnn or abc like as it was happening as it was happening of the reporters saying god it look it, it, it looks almost like a building being demolished it's almost like those reporters
2: were on air for kind of 16 hours without a break mm-hmm. and they just had to fill the time and so they were just saying stuff
3: It's interesting, uh, and Luke, you know, we sort of uh, talked about this uh, when we were watching the um, debate uh, on Democracy Now!, is that it's it's kind of ironic that, you know, they doubt Certain media story, sources, so they're, you know, criticizing popular mechanics, saying that's yellow journalism. They're criticizing the nation. Anybody who sort of really publishes something contrary to conspiracy, yet they're perfectly happy to use clips from ABC.
2: They use sources that are from the hot, like the upper echelons of the U.S. government to reinforce, you know, they have, you know, Robert Mueller, friend of the show, saying saying stuff that they they cite as evidence for their own points. And then the film, the implication is that the federal government is impl- complicated and you know, it's conspiracy to attack several of its own kind of installations and the world trade center i mean it's just
1: and the conspiracy has ridiculous. now grown to include the media the firefighters yeah you know, like so, e- everybody
2: so so i mean i, I guess what we're saying is that this film is total bullshit we'll play you guys a clip of democracy now and it, it's actually really funny because the jason whatever the researcher for the film who's next to director dylan avery i mean he is just absolutely unhinged he it's comes incredible. out swinging you gotta hand it to him yeah i mean it's
1: like, so try
3: to explain he's Always like yelling that. Yeah. Well, it's because
1: he, he has so little. Yeah. But what he can do is these like rhetorical flourishes yeah. of being like, D- "Do you expect me to believe?" <laughs> of course, the these people would want you to believe. You know, <laughs> j- just little <laughs> right. gratuitous flourishes.
4: Uh, the collapse of the World Trade Center is the most intensively studied engineering failure in world history, and uh, thousands of pages of reports, uh, uh, experts some affiliated with various branches of government, major engineering schools. There's no um, indication in any of that work to support any of these ideas of demolition or anything like that. And the things that are cited tend to be um, be, the experts who on close investigation turn out to have no expertise or first impressions of people on the scene who of course heard all kinds of horrible noises and confusing, terrible things in the chaos of that day. Jason um, Well, Real quick, I just yeah. want to I just want to jump in and say that Kevin Ryan has been open about his statement. He's uh, adm- he's uh, always been public about the fact that he worked for the uh, I don't remember the exact name, but it was a subdivision of Underwriters Laboratories, which did water testing. But it was the fact that he got the higher up from he got the word from his higher ups that they actually had certified the steel, and I mean his science still adds up. In
2: but fact, Underwriter Laboratory statement. does not certify structural steel.
4: Oh okay, I I, I would disagree with that, but aside from the hundreds of witnesses' accounts of bombs going off in the building, I would just like to go to the official version. They're saying that the, the intense heat from the impact holes was so intense that it weakened the steel, causing it to do a pancake collapse on top of itself. This is simply a lie. We know two minutes before the first building, which was struck second and burned for less time, we had firefighters in the impact zone saying that they could knock down the fires with two lines, two hand lines. Now, I ask you, can human beings stand in, 1500 degree temperature, 1200 degree temperature, 600 degree temperature? The answer is no, they cannot. Jason, I think it's it's telling that every time you disagree with something you call the people a liar I'm not calling anybody a liar sir I'm calling you a liar because you are a liar actually
2: I found him very interesting to watch because I think he's a case study there is a kind of crippling certitude that people have when they are really heavily invested in conspiracy theories he's he's so invested in the idea that the official story of 9-11 is completely incorrect that he kind of psychologically opens himself up to you know any kind of grain of doubt or any gray area or any even just kind of superficially anything that just kind of affirms the view that he firmly believes he just uncritically kind of accepts it and so these two guys from Popular Mechanics who are just kind of calmly being like well actually you know there are lots of photos of debris inside the Pentagon and stuff and he's just losing it. I mean, it, it, he reminds me of, I mean, I think the phrase crippling certitude, I can remember, it's not my phrase, I think I heard it maybe in um, the Going Clear documentary about Scientology. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's, a def- it's a definite, like, psychological characteristic that some people have, and you kind of see it in the worst kinds of political partisans, or in conspiracy theorists, and all kinds of people, and it just is this dogmatic almost evangelical commitment to certain capital T truths and their whole identity and you know everything becomes structured around that and that guy in this democracy now
1: debate is such a good such a good example of that he just won't listen. I mean, do you think we all have impulses like that? I mean, we all shape our identities. It can be hard to hear your identity come under scrutiny No,
2: absolutely. I mean, I think you cannot go through life, you know, it's kind of psychologically necessary to consider certain things as true. Mm -hmm. But I think that if if you kind of have a healthy mind, most things you think of as sort of provisionally true. And again, if you have a healthy mind, kind of that's enough, like until further notice. Mm -hmm. And the difference is when you commit to something like 9-11 was an inside job you really throw yourself into that
3: yeah i say one of the things that a conspiracy theory does is it constructs a closed system essentially you know provides a simple explanation for something that might seem very complex though so, you know i mean the events of 9-11 like are pretty discernible like i mean what happened and stuff like that and what's interesting is you know they never sort of enter into any sort of discussion like there's almost the, the the implication I think in the film well you know these hijackers there's no way that these guys could pull something like this off forgetting that you know Clay Sheikh Mohammed you know who planned the 9/11 attacks was like a mechanical engineer yeah
2: whereas of course the Bush administration which couldn't plan like a, a like a half decent Response to a hurricane in Louisiana uh, <laughs> yeah. was able to execute this yeah. massive conspiracy.
1: Well, it seems to me that, like, so much of the momentum around the 9 11 conspiracy was displaced anger and frustration over the betrayal yeah, of Iraq, don't you think?
0: Yeah,
3: I think, you know, and the thing with the Iraq war, too, I mean, just think about how many, you know, like, how many mainstream media organizations like the New York Times or the Atlantic or, you know, whether they're liberal, yeah. they liberal or conservative completely compromised themselves. Oh, well, absolutely. You know, really participated in selling this war. Democracy
2: I mean, dies in the darkness. Also, Saddam Hussein has WMDs. <laughs> yeah,
3: and the thing is that, I, you know, it's understandable. You know, it's interesting, you know, with all this sort of, you know, all these hot takes about fake news, you know, what's conveniently, I think, absent from a lot of these accounts, you know, well, first of all, it's treated as a very recent phenomenon that's been brought about by social media, even though it's a long-standing you know, issue. But also, I mean, I mean, you know, it is true Mm -hmm. That, uh, you, you know, even within, you know, official sources, I mean, there has been the presentation of dubious information. I mean, people who misled the public about about the Iraq war, I mean, still have significant careers.
1: Well, we've heard so many accounts of people saying that the Bush administration was determined to go into Iraq and sort of saw 9-11 as an opportunity to sell Iraq, yeah. and so you know once you internalize that idea which is which is well there's true, something to that right yeah. it's, it's true yeah you can understand the leap to then saying okay well maybe they maybe they did yeah, 9-11 like like i wouldn't put it past them now right mm-hmm. you know
2: so this film as i said a few moments ago is is i mean it's total bullshit and you know if you watch the democracy now interview these guys are you know they're not (laughs) they're not credible this is a very silly uh is a very silly film its rhetorical effectiveness comes from kind of its rhetorical effectiveness comes from kind of assaulting your senses with empirical data and circumstantial evidence Mm and but you know what's interesting about it i think is is there's a rich vein of material here to kind of think about the you know the overall political ecosystem of conspiracy theories because i think what we've now seen is that conspiracy theories really are a kind of pan-ideological phenomenon. You know, we have all this Russia stuff now, which, which is, you know, being given massive credence by kind of MSNBC, and, you know, by some of the same outlets that sold the war in Iraq as well. You know, and of course, you know, Alex Jones uh, has kind of monetized the exact same type of media epistemology of 9-11 conspiracy theories to, you know, sell various products and things like that. So I think there's a lot about our contemporary culture that's actually reflected in this film and in some ways was kind of started or ignited by the the various trends that produced it.
1: Well, there are certain uh, key differences between 9-11 trutherism and the the russia conspiracy i mean with the russia conspiracy you know we have a lot of credible evidence of some uh, i don't know if collusion is the right word but you know we have is it don jr answering an email right but saying, that's like yeah. that's like saying i mean bill you know bill yeah. Clinton. You know, gave a paid speech to a Kremlin connected
2: bank and then the, the Clintons kind of covered it up. So is that evidence that the Clintons have some like, you know, I mean, sure. what what are they hiding? Sure. I mean, you know, sure.
1: just asking questions. But I mean, aside from that, the differences between the two things are 9-11 is taking an, an actual external attack and trying to jerry-rig the blame for it onto an internal conspiracy, mm-hmm. an inside job, mm-hmm. if you will. The election of Donald Trump is an American phenomenon And the Russia stuff is trying to attribute it to an external attack. They're
2: not absolutely, they're not absolutely analogous um, conspiracy theories. I just think that they're both part of kind of ecosystems where people are both part of an ecosystem where people look for these kind of alternative explanations, these kind of almost anti-political explanations for why Mm -hmm. things happen.
3: Um, yeah, to jump off from that point, Luke, I think maybe the the point at which the nine eleven uh, was an inside job conspiracy and you know the Trump Russia conspiracy meet is the disbelief that these two events could happen. You know, the disbelief that that hijackers could, they could hijack planes and actually attack the United States, or that you know Donald Trump could be election, elected. And I think what's different between the two of them is that I think the nine eleven the inside is an inside job, you know, I think the people who are adherents of it, you know, they feel like they're constructing a whole vein of stigmatized knowledge, right? This is the stuff that they don't want you to know. Whereas with Trump Russia, like, I think it becomes a kind of convenient explanation that can kind of ban or sort of cover, you know, really, really kind of push to the side, any other sort of discussions of what really went wrong. It's, it's being, it's
2: being done. It is actually being done in a way, like in the aid of the American deep state and, and Mm -hmm. in defense of American institutions. I think that's true. I just think kind of psychologically, there are some parallels. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Because I think it's sort of, you know, I think it provides a kind of explanation for evil. You know, you know, there's this you know the terrible thing that's happened, and you know provides maybe a kind of simplistic explanation. And I mean, you know, if you looked at some of the memes that you know that these recently indicted you know uh, Russians, I mean, they're really weak sauce. I mean, overall, not to say that you know they weren't shared by other people or or they they didn't have some you know maybe mild i think extremely mild influence but i don't think it was enough to swing you know the entire 2016 election
1: but to me it's a comforting idea that the russians swung the election instead of the reality that america could vote for trump what's not a comforting idea is the idea that george bush planned (laughs) 9-11
0: that's
1: that's a that's a if he did that that's a horrifying idea the the scale of that conspiracy if true would be terrible
2: then again i mean that for the people that are you know really committed to the the kind of hardcore version of the trump russia stuff you know beyond the kind of fellow travelers who are just interested in evidence People they're really committed to it i mean it was i think last week there was an msnbc panel where two people i think one of them who is affiliated with the clinton campaign were basically discussing you know these like facebook memes they were like this is pearl harbor You know, the scale of it for them is we want to start a third world war with another nuclear armed power. That's what is necessitated by like a meme where a muscly Bernie Sanders says don't vote for Hillary or whatever, you know. I wonder if like after all
3: is said and done, like somebody kind of like a Louise Mensch or somebody like an Eric Garland will make a loose change style documentary like though it's probably well, already happened well right? or, or maybe Eric Garland like his famous game theory thread or you know I should say infamous like maybe that's like this movements you know loose change right because it you know <laughs> he sort of provides a kind of sweeping explanation of history in sort of the same way that you know Dylan Avery um, sort of provides a a sweeping explanation of all the events that sort of led up to 9-11 and, the, you know, the possible motivations behind it. Funnily enough, uh, you know, when he started making it, he was supposed to be a fictional thriller. And then it was like, oh, well, you know, as I, as I was investigating, you know, there's just too many unanswered questions. So When he
1: started making Loose Change. Yeah, when
3: he started making Loose Change, it was originally going to be a fictional film, actually. And then it became, you know, a documentary.
1: I feel like know. some of that might have had to do with the fact that Dylan Avery, you know, a, a 21-year-old, like, dumbass 9-11 conspiracy <laughs> theorist probably, like, would have trouble mounting the resources to make a fictional film on this, can you imagine that? You
3: know, with like the sort
1: of <laughs> so
2: account? so I mean, it seems like the narrative we have developing here is you know, circa kind of the early two thousands. <laughs> you have you know, kind of just like maybe well meaning, but like all ultimately like misled and kind of crazy individuals, kind of externalizing you know their frustrations with American institutions in the wake of kind of you know, like the Bush administration's excesses. But then, you know, by 2016, the American psyche is so debased that it's just like the editor of Mother Jones and like the executives of MSNBC are just like Russia did the 2016 election. I mean, the the kind of psychological kernel of just everything is a conspiracy. Nothing makes sense. Just this kind of overriding sense of confusion and 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 things not matching up to what kind of how officialdom says they should that produces the russia conspiracy
1: well can i say that actually like maybe a more equivalent conspiracy to loose change that's going on now is this idea that the Uh, students from Florida who are currently, you know, (laughs) protesting uh, for uh, for gun Gun, control are... They're actors. They're actors.
3: Crisis actors. That's what they're called, yeah. Yeah. They basically are flown in to do interviews and things like
1: that. But that to me is more like the loose change conspiracy where where it's like these idiots, you know, thinking, well, this has to be like an internal conspiracy from some, you know, uh, corrupt Democrat elite that's controlling everything.
2: I found myself extremely frustrated watching this film And it wasn't just because it's so obviously dumb. It was because I think that it reminded me of a lot of stuff, you know, that I watched and kind of consumed during the Bush era, kind of in my teens where, you know, it, it has this kind of pretense to, to really, you know, challenging power and stuff, but ultimately it's kind of dumb and it discredits genuine political dissent because if there's one thing that kind of unites most of the things we discuss on Michael and us, it is this kind of anti-political tendency. Yeah,
1: what does this movie stand for? It literally ends with a shot of the Statue of Liberty. It's like we just need
3: to come together, you know, yeah, it's like, demand answers. Like, like, our
1: country is under attack. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and you know, these, values the, are under attack. <laughs> these
1: tyrants have taken over our country, but you know, like anything that's wrong with America be, can be fixed with what's we, right. We all know America. that we all
2: know that the tree of liberty is watered with the blood of tyrants (laughs) as our founding fathers wrote (laughs) a
3: little bit of spit and some freedom you know we can take America back and it's interesting that you know the blandest you know I think some of the documentaries you've covered like even like that one you know the sort of quote unquote liberal critique of Michael Moore it just you know it always coalesces around the same kind of centrist bromides you know Mm -hmm. around just like we just need to come
2: together in it that That film
1: that alex is referring to by the way was called manufacturing descent yeah go back
2: and listen to the if you're if you're if you're a real michael and and us fan, if you're if you're you're like a hardcore member Mm -hmm. of michael and us nation then you will have heard that but good film i know that we have a lot of listeners who kind of picked us up in the post michael moore phase of (laughs) michael and us so go back and listen to that one if you get the chance
3: but you know it's disturbing to me that you know the most unhinged conspiracy theorist and a guy who's sort of Making like you know just like this low budget documentary about how Michael Moore is you know sort of creating unnecessary dissent like they just sort of share in the same kind of constrained political imagination.
2: I mean, one of the things that's really remarkable about this movie is is, Loose Change that is is despite its pretenses to kind of unmasking this grand conspiracy where the United States federal government attacked its own citizens, its hypotheses about why that was or what the motivations were are really bland and kind of thing it's just you know this guy had an gold. insurance policy and there was gold under the world yeah, trade yeah. center and it's like i think that gets i to- love
0: gold <laughs> thanks for that just a little joke should, for the fans you, you should
2: uh, you should like put that just like find the clip <laughs> of gold member and put that in
0: i love gold i just felt the
2: conversation uh,
1: was getting a little too serious yeah. you know?
2: <laughs> um, i think that gets at this kind of anti-political tendency i i referred to before i mean I mean, to me, that is one of the central kind of defects of a lot of conspiracy theories is that they reductively kind of try to suggest that there's a unified explanation for why everything is bad. I think you can say that of conspiracy theories that are sort of more sort of more nominally rooted on you know the neuroses of the right and more nominally rooted on kind of the neuroses of the left it's kind of a universal thing about conspiracy theories you know on the one hand loose change tells us that you know there's this grand conspiracy but then the motives for it are these incredibly bland things about just money and stuff and it's like let me tell you um i mean the entire united states economic system is a bland conspiracy to make Mm. billions of dollars off the backs of the hard-working majority or whatever you know political problems are a lot more banal that's why they're political problems have Mm -hmm. to do with these kind of observable structures and I think a lot of people find that intimidating and overwhelming but the fact is that it's a much more liberating experience when you realize that you you know what kind of the sphere of the political is and that it it actually does have to do with these kind of observable hierarchies and these things that you can organize to address and you can kind of illuminate people about and that's a lot uh, more comforting to me than the idea that there's you know, some kind of executive committee of the Illuminati or, and they all
1: meet at this owl ceremony in the summer.
2: Actually talking about Alex Jones, you know, it's for jumping off Luke's point. Friend of the show.
3: (laughs) What's really interesting is, you know, Jones, of course, now has himself fir- firmly entrenched within the reactionary right, and I, you know, I think to a degree he always has. But you know, it's interesting in the early days. And I think we talked about this last time, is that he tried to present himself as like not being from the right and not being from the left. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because I think it has to do with salability, right? I think a lot of these sort of these kind of bland bromides that sort of get thrown in around the sort of political centrism, like we all need to come together, you know, for our best interests. A lot of it I think emerges from the fact that they're afraid that if you know they do stake out a really firm position on something then you know the kind of the the pitch of it is going to be lost somehow. What's really interesting is that there's actually a, a more recent interview with the director of Loose Change. The title is, you know, the director of Loose Change has some regrets. Uh, it's an article in the outline. But then, if you actually read the, you know, the interview, he's like, "I he did,
2: did the- 9/11." I admit it.
3: <laughs> well, the thing is, with the interview, is he's still equivocating. So he has these regrets, but he can't completely denounce the film. He's like, "Oh yeah, we're doing an HD version." Like, so it's really <laughs> bizarre. And but to me, what are his regrets? Well, because you know, he sort of talks about the how- music's a bit lame. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, he does bring up, you know, with the 9/11 truth, right? You know, there was the, like, the, he, he put he the did. bombs at the base of the towers. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) There's quite a bit of bigotry, you know, sort of the things we're having now, and then, you know, the. He regrets that
1: he was too honest.
3: Yeah, he he was revealing too much truth. You know, I don't think we were ready to handle it at that time. But what's funny to me is he's still equivocating about it. He can't fully denounce it because I think to some degree, you know, he has to still participate. And imagine and if you're
2: early twenties, well. the thing that distinguished you was just yeah. you made the 9-11 was an inside job. Well, movie. this this imagine well, the psychological scars
1: of th- this is the thing that he will always be known as. Yeah, I mean, people, it, it, like it is
2: obituary. You know, <laughs> this is what it's going to be. He's going to be
3: consigned to. But you know, it's funny, I think the political economy of a lot of this stuff, I mean, you know, I think as we talked about last time, uh, is related to like also a kind of grift. Well I think maybe there's a bit more earnestness with mm-hmm. loose change and yeah. people who made it. I mean, the stopping point is just, you know, sheer sheer sales. And what, I think what's interesting is that I think what doesn't get it talked a lot about within conspiracy theories, I think the psychological angle gets emphasized, but I think the economic and cultural angle uh doesn't get talked about as much as, you know, the sort of material relations that go in to producing conspiracy theories where, you know, you do have, you know, uh, institutional support um, for this. You do have, um, you know, things that become bestsellers and they're sort of designed to be bestsellers. Like I think about, um, you know, the ancient aliens theory. Well, you know, Eric Von Daniken wrote Chariots of the Gods. In the 1970s, he was, you know, it was a, it was basically him plagiarizing another book that came out in French, became really popular. He writes several other books, and what keeps it in the public consciousness is then Rod Serling, you know, of the Twilight Zone and of, uh, you know, Planet of the Apes. He makes a series called In Search of, which is all about world mysteries, and the first episode is In Search of Ancient Astronauts. And then you know, this gets re- resurrected by the History Channel. I think with a psychological explanation, sometimes the danger is, you know, you look at something like loose change, you're like, oh, well, you know, because it was on the Internet and it was sort of was spread, you know, it was actually originally hosted on Google Video, uh, funnily enough, uh, which no longer exists, but because it was disseminated on the Internet, you know, that's the explanation, you know, all these people were sort of taken in rather than looking at, you know, sort of what was surrounding a documentary like this the sort of resources that Well and, really and why
2: around. and also why are people susceptible to it I think it's important because I <laughs> like you know to me a lot of the conspiracy theories conspiracy theories I just think are inherently reactionary like they're yeah. anti-political and you know the, the proof there is in how as you guys were saying So many of them kind of swing back to this like these just generic centrist (laughs) platitudes despite alleging these vast conspiracies.
3: Another film that's like that around the same time is Zeitgeist. Do you guys remember Zeitgeist? Oh, I do. I mean, which, you know, is even grander and sort of like talking about like the whole sweep of history, like religion. And I think they sort of bring up uh, some 9-11 conspiracy theories in that. But that's also of the same time period, Mm -hmm. interestingly enough.
1: Question about Alex Jones. Is he still a 9-11 truther? Because if Donald Trump is the president, presumably he's been briefed on the 9-11 situation. So, so is he in on the conspiracy now? And would that cause Alex Jones to turn on Trump?
3: That's actually a good question. I feel well, like what he's like, Alex Jones has really been emphasizing are sort of these false flag conspiracies around uh, school shootings. Well,
1: Sandy Hook is his famous yeah, one. Yeah,
2: Alex Jones is such a hack. Honestly, he's not even a principled conspiracy theorist. He is like no better than like Rachel Maddow. Uh, with apologies to Rachel Maddow, I mean, it's like his conspiracies just oscillate in terms of like when there's a democrat in the white house or when there's a republican in the white house Mm -hmm. it it just it just becomes different and you know i think it's really chicken shit of him to kind of keep equivocating on whether he's like a trump partisan or not he clearly is like he does these dumb segments where he's like uh uh, you know uh, i'm not a i'm not you know a cheerleader for the president or anything you know i just like to get at the truth or whatever it's like shut up dude you you like boosted trump and you continue to boost him even after he like appears You know, in that photo with that orb that
1: looks like it's some kind of, you know, that looks like it's a History Channel special. (laughs) Well, Luke, I have some bad news about the sponsor for this week's episode.
2: Every morning before I start writing or shooting a video, I take two capsules of Brain Force for a sustainable burst of energy. This is, without question, the most powerful nootropic I've ever taken. And it
4: comes without any of the crashes or the jitters associated with energy drinks. It's additive free, nothing artificial. It's BrainForce Plus. Read thousands of five-star independent reviews right now, and get your BrainForce Plus at InfoWars Life.
2: And we're back. <laughs> Just a word from our sponsor. There, we, uh, as always with Michael and us, we always. You know, advertised products that, you know, they're definitely
1: things we use. If you go to InfoWars.com and you use the product code Michael and us, you can get a 10% discount.
2: Yeah, go to our website, InfoWars.com. You can check it out. Anyway, I think, you know, as I was saying, I think conspiracy theories are inherently reactionary, but they are a genuine kind of response to, in the same way that, I mean, maybe in the same way that kind of cults are. The, the modern world is incredibly confusing. There's a deluge of information and the fact is that kind of the official kind of platitudes liberal democracy tells itself about how everything works i mean they don't actually match up with the realities of liberal democracy the fact that it's you know it's codified that in a liberal democracy everyone's equal and then you walk outside and you know some people are wearing nice suits and some people are you know begging for food on the street i mean there is kind of just an essential dissonance at the heart of a lot of life for ordinary people and in the absence of kind of education or kind of the resources to i guess kind of address why that is or think about why it is meditate on why it is in kind of a political way I think a lot of people just reach for kind of conspiracies because they do offer a very simple, but kind of emotionally and intellectually seductive explanation for things. And to me, um, you know, obviously the nine 11 stuff, as you were saying, well, kind of happened within this particular ecosystem after nine 11 with the war in Iraq and stuff. But I think one of the reasons they kind of continue to exist is just because modern society is very confusing and it's more complicated though. Ultimately uh... more kind of constructive to see problems as kind of social and political as opposed to being the results of some the result of some kind of executive committee uh... you know deciding things behind the scenes
1: what are your
3: guys' explanation is for willie rodriguez testimony that he heard, exp- or that he heard experienced and his coworkers were actually burned by an explosion in the basement of the north tower prior to
4: the plane hitting and this has been verified by at least twenty different eyewitnesses
0: Jim Maggs of Papa Mechanics
4: the, uh, when the building stro- when the planes struck the buildings, they uh, they penetrated the internal core. Jet fuel poured down uh, stairwells and elevator shafts, setting off secondary explosions. Not to mention the horrific impact of these fully loaded planes hitting the structure and Mr. causing Mix. enormous swain. He- give me give me a second okay. to finish, okay. Don. Okay. Um, it's it's interesting. In that testimony, he says that somebody came out of the elevator area with his skin hanging off. That would be consistent with a fire not an explosion and you sh- you had a short clip of the not brothers uh, documentary about that day and uh, of them entering the lobby but what you didn't have was their voiceover where they say saw- they saw humans on fire which would again would be completely consistent with what we saw uh in all the reports on this that jet fuel came down the elevator shafts uh people people died we're talking about real human beings here you know this wasn't a movie yeah. this isn't we a parlor are, we are here. talking yeah. about yeah. real Burns, human beings respect them with the truth sir
1: so boys what are your favorite conspiracy theories
3: well, um, you know, I think the last time uh, we sort of dealt with this question, I think I talked about the Kennedy assassination. But in terms of like favorite ones, like that's like what,
1: saying the Beatles are
3: your favorite band. Yeah, no, no <laughs> I mean, because uh, because I think it, no, I think the question you asked last time was which one did we still do we sort of believe or hold on to? But in terms of favorite ones, um, I think the one that I like the most is that the. Denver Airport is essentially a portal for the lizard people, you know, that's been constructed in a very particular way to house our reptilian, our true reptilian overlords. So that's, that one's pretty
1: good. You know, I used to not believe in any conspiracy theories, but I was ordering pizza at this place in Washington. And and like I was waiting for my, and it looked like nobody was at the counter. And I sort of went behind the counter and then I went downstairs. And (laughs) (laughs) let me tell you. The stuff I... I I can't even really say it on the air.
2: Will always gets like a Vietnam vet when he talks about this stuff.
1: It's just Uh, rattled. But seriously, folks, my favorite conspiracy theory is... I'm sure we all know that Bruce Lee died of a cerebral edema... Brought upon by an an allergic reaction to a painkiller... But what if I told you that earlier that day he had previously ingested a marijuana leaf and previously marijuana leaves had caused him to have an allergic reaction, caused his head to swell. And actually right
2: before, uh, just hours before that, he met with Robert Mueller, the director of the CIA. Well, uh, you know,
1: Bruce Lee's not really dead.
2: (laughs) We should just, we should just put that, seriously, just put that clip in. It's so good.
4: You know, Bruce Lee's not really dead, don't you? yeah it's in a book what he did was he faked his own death so that he could work undercover for the hong kong police infiltrating drugs gangs in the triads
2: yeah i reckon that's true yeah i reckon that's true because if you were going to send someone undercover to investigate the triads you'd probably want the world's most famous chinese film star <laughs> so you know i actually knew a conspiracy theory guy back when you know i worked uh, at this restaurant in hamilton you know the same one where my Uh, where that one high school teacher would come in. So, I don't know. Maybe I talked about this guy on the Alex Jones episode. I'm not sure. But, I mean, he was just... I think it would be safe to say his hobby was kind of this truther stuff. And it was interesting because, you know, he wasn't kind of ideologically affiliated with anything. And um, it just seemed to kind of pass through the sieve of whatever, like, education he did have. So, I remember he was into all these theories about how, you know, like the North American Union and about how... You know, it was kind of conspiracy for the United States to, you know, basically annex Canada. And, you know, that... the one with the Amero. What's the Amero? It's like sort of, it was going to be our unified currency. Right. So yeah, there's a currency union. And it's funny because, I mean, first of all, it's not a conspiracy. It's just kind of a dumb policy idea floated by a bunch of kind of, you know, like American Canadian, like elites. Um, you know, it's not going to happen. Um, and, uh... You know, there was this guy, um, I've forgotten his name now, I think it's Paul Hellyer, that's right, who was a Liberal Cabinet Minister, believe it, and do you know about Paul Hellyer, Alex? He was was a Liberal Cabinet Minister in the late 60s, and he, I think he was like Minister of National Defence in Canada, and then he later founded... Uh, something called the Canadian Action Party oh, okay. which yeah, which yeah, by yeah. the early which it was kind of one of those things that came out of the like economic nationalism in Canada in the 1970s okay, yeah. and I guess because it was like too kooky to affiliate itself with the NDP which was kind of the central you know like the, there was the waffle and the NDP and stuff so created this new party and um which you know i think they peaked and kind of i think they got a few tens of thousands of votes in like 1993 he never won a seat or anything you know not as a, he wanted you know obviously had a, had a seat as a liberal i mean the canadian action party devolved into a 9-11 truth party by the early 2000s and paul hellyer became like a ufo guy yeah that's what i recall mm-hmm. that yeah he
3: got totally into ufos it's interesting how closely connected those are you know the belief between ufos and also mm-hmm. like these sort kind of fringe like you know right wing kind of new world order
2: and again it's a good example of what i'm talking about because of course like the political project reform canada and kind of further integrate it with the united states economically isn't a conspiracy i'm obviously not dismissing that but i mean it's it's a it's just perfectly out in the open it's it's a, it's a series of bad ideas that kind of, you know, elites in Canada and the United States have that produced NAFTA and produced kind of the free trade agreement before that, produced the auto pact, things like that, you know, that basically just undermine Canadian, you know, labor regulations and also hurt workers in the United States too. It's just the upward redistribution of wealth. It's no conspiracy. It's called capitalism, you know? Um, And, and, and again, these kind of, the, the fact that there's a kind of conspiracy element is a really good example of how It actually kind of neutralizes the political element of this and so you know believing in the conspiracy becomes quite a kind of conservative thing anyway this this guy you know maybe again maybe (laughs) i talked about him before but he would have a different conspiracy every day and sometimes they would they would line up with kind of a more you know lefty sounding conspiracy and sometimes they would kind of get to that territory of like Hmm, this basically just sounds like anti-semitism you know there's yeah. like a banking you know it's yeah. banking and yeah. there was all this he was into he was really into ron paul so there was all this stuff about oh, like yeah. we need to audit the fed that he would always say he
1: would always say that by the way the ron paul revolution was a really interesting testament to just how limited the political imagination was at that time because it's like the idea that there could actually be a left party was just you know not possible, yeah so,
2: so 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 political transgression is like it's <laughs> just a guy who's like a generic republican except he's like a further right revisionist like take on the civil war and he wants to legalize marijuana and he's like mildly skeptical of it, iraq it, yeah
1: it was just the idea of a guy who wasn't completely orthodox to the party that he was part of that that was considered you know incredible
3: one of my favorite facts about ron paul is that after the 9-11 attacks instead of like authorizing you know war you know stuff like that he actually had this idea of uh issuing letters of mark to <laughs> to to remove the terrorists you know like you know sort of and it's like it, what's amazing with Ron Paul are all the kind of weird like 18th century ideas that he sort of Well,
1: like the study. gold standard. Yeah,
3: yeah. Like, cause, you know, gold never depreciates. And it's funny because Glenn
1: <laughs> Well, that's yeah, why they like that. that's Paul why they Ron Paul they did the 9-11, folks. Yeah. They did 9-11 so <laughs> that they, could, the gold, they right. could get the gold buried underneath. <laughs> it's amazing how many of these
3: conspiracies, like, you're just, like, one step away from some sort of, like, really anti-Semitic Jewish banking conspiracy. <laughs> like, it's amazing. Like, yeah. all the time. It- you know about like, the
2: protocols of the yeah, elders yeah. of Zion. So,
3: that what's the origin of that? Well, the origin of that one was basically it was actually uh, a deliberate forgery made in like Tsarist Russia 1903 to essentially like discredit like other like kind of progressive forces like before like the revolution of I think 1905 you know, the Tsar is trying to discredit these forces and sort of associate them, you know with these sort of like very kind of anti-Semitic movements and it's literally just taken from, there's this French satire that this agent of the Okrana essentially he just lifted passages from and then made it into this kind of document. But what's interesting Thing about that is like you know henry ford actually um he he serialized it in his own newspaper the dearborn independent so you actually have you know you know really one of the greatest like industrial capitalists of that time period essentially like promoting you know this anti-semitic forgery which has gone on to be like just one of the most influential conspiracy theory documents so really kind of showing i think some of the like the institutional and material support that these sort of conspiracies get and how how old they are like you know i mean some one of the first really consp- uh, conspiracy narratives was a book um, that came out in 1801, written by a Catholic priest against the uh, French Revolution. Now it was a plot by the Freemasons, so it's really you know, it was really based in reaction to kind of yeah diffuse, those those Parisian you know. peasants who didn't have
2: enough bread were, were totally in the pay <laughs> of the Freemasons, <laughs> Freemasons you know, uh, they, they, but, they it wasn't that they read Rousseau and were
1: hungry. They just you know yeah, the French
2: Revolution was an inside <laughs> job.
3: But you know, I mean, that's the thing, right? You know, a lot of this stuff kind of becomes like mutually reinforcing. And It kind of serves a particular interest, and it's interesting to me that the United States is a bastion for conspiracy while also, you know, sort of being like the largest industrial power, you know, as it's a superpower and as it's an economic power that the sort of the manifestations of conspiracy, I think, are higher in the United
1: States. Well, I mean, it's a country that, like, there's just widespread dissatisfaction and so so many people with yeah. terrible lives, but it's also a country where they're told that it's the most perfect system that has ever and will ever be yeah, created. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. you know, most people don't know anything about Marxist theory, so they have no, like, <laughs> vocabulary with which to articulate their discontent and no, no, no kind of framework to figure out what the problem might be. So this impulse manifests itself in conspiracy theories. But, you know, having said that, I look out luke's window and i see the cn tower and i and and i see the Sky Dome, and i just know that you know what it whatever's wrong with canada or america it can be fixed with what's right i'm will sloan
3: i'm luke savage and i'm alex ross and you know what don't stop searching for the truth
1: now watch this drive
0: Like the towers it just fell